Hello and welcome to the Ski Instructor Podcast. Uh, this is episode 15 and my name is Dave Burrows. I'm the director and owner of Snowbro Ski School here in the Valley in Switzerland. Um, we're having an interesting ski season here in Europe. Um, we haven't had much snow. We had some early snow, um, but otherwise it's been dry and pretty cold. So there's a lot of manufactured snow around. And uh, in fact, um, last night we had another 20 centimetres, but that's about the first snow that we've had for about three weeks. So, uh, so it's... Um, it's an interesting season for sure. Uh, the pistas are actually in great condition in the mornings. The, the pistas are doing an amazing job um, with the snow. Um, but it's been a very, very quiet January. I don't know whether people are seeing the conditions on social media or whatever and staying away. But um, but the conditions are fabulous. We're skiing under under blue skies and and uh, and the pistas are good. So uh, so it's really um, seems to be a season for sharp skis and piste skis uh, over here in Europe. And um, and I for one am, am, am very much enjoying it. This week, um, I'm joined by James uh, Takotakis from uh, Sun Valley, and um, some of you may know that, that, that Taco is the um, he's he's the presenter and, uh, and I guess owner of the the Peaced Off podcast. And I don't know uh, how many of you know this, but the Peaced Off podcast, I mean, it's, it's absolutely one of my favourites, and um, uh, it's it's essentially a, a ski racing podcast, and it started out a long time ago with a sort of similar to what Ed Drake is doing with his now sort of reviews of the World Cup and, and uh, previews of certain events. But it's sort of gone down the, the, the same route as mine and and, and, um, and Taco interviews a whole bunch of people from uh, from the ski ski racing world. And I and I really, really recommend that you listen to it. It's a fa- fabulous podcast. It really is and it's just a wealth of information in there about skiing in general. Now, when he's not doing the podcast, uh, Taco is heading up the under 14 program at Sun Valley's uh, Ski Racing uh, Academy. And um, and we had an opportunity to talk about this uh, uh, here in, in part one, uh, amongst other things. So we talk about the podcast, we talk about the World Cup um, and uh, and his story and how he ended up in Sun Valley and, and, and the position that he did. So uh, um, enjoy this first half of the podcast. Um, it's it's a really long and interesting chat. Um, I really, really got a lot out of this podcast, stuff that I've brought into my own skiing in the last couple of days. And, and, and I really hope that you guys enjoy it uh, as much as I have done. So uh, I'll see you uh, on the other side. All right, welcome to the podcast, uh, James Takis, otherwise known as Taco. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's it's great to speak to you, and I have to say, we were just talking about this earlier, but I'm 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 like a mega fan. You know, I've been uh, I've been listening to your podcast, Pieced Off, which um, I think started out. So you were doing. T- tell me more about that. So you were starting out with. Is it your mate Will Brandenburg? Yeah. Or, and you were doing basically reviews and uh, previews of World Cup skiing events. Races. Yes, it's it started off. Um, it, it's kind of a funny story, but yeah, Will Will and I both live in Sun Valley, and we were, we both used to live in Park City, and we're friends there as well. Um, and then we started coaching together in the Sun Valley Ski Program, and then a mutual friend of ours, uh, Steve Nyman. Uh, he and his brother started Fantasy Ski Racer, mm-hmm. and he said to Will, you know, because Will's always kind of had a hankering to comment on sports, Right. Uh, he said, why don't you have a podcast for Fantasy Ski Racer? 
And he and I knew we kind of wanted to do something together, something like that. And so it kind of just came up. And being a musician, I, I'm fairly uh, proficient with recording equipment. So right. Jeez, this will be easy. Let's just go for it. And he had a lot of connections. And then yeah. two years into it, um, you know, and like 30 or 40 episodes later, um, Will's, Will's career started kind of shifting a little bit. And a baby kind of came into his picture. And, you know, I, I just decided, well, I really liked the banter more than the reviews. Yeah. And I, that's the stuff that kind of stays, stays timeless. So whether you're listening to the podcast uh, when it first comes out, or a year or two down the road, it's uh, the, the the content is for the most part still relevant, and yeah. that's what I wanted to kind of hold on to. Yeah, and and I have to say, like, so I was, I don't know whether I was an early adopter or whatever of your your podcast, but I remember all those kind of old episodes where you were you were talking about the World Cup, and you've you've kind of pivoted your your podcast, and it's gone more to. Uh, I don't know, like a like a uh, interview format, and some of the interviews you've been doing lately are just extraordinary. Like the one that you just did with Darren um, Darren Rolls Rolls I don't yeah. know. Right, yeah. yeah, like that was yeah. the most amazing interview I've heard for ages. Like talk about <laughs> like determination, grit. Like just you know, you imagine plugging away for that long with like no success, and then all of a sudden like you win a World Cup downhill. It's like what the hell? Like, it's just absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, he's not the only story like that out there on the World Cup. I mean, I think Manny Feller is uh, an Austrian. That's a great example of that as well. Yeah. But I think, you know, you want to get Darren's story out there for two reasons. One, you want to inspire others, mm. um, especially those kids who, who kind of, you, you, there's a lot of turning points just from a maturity standpoint in ski racing. And mm. you want to provide some help to, to overcome some of these things and at the same time you just got to understand the kind of animal Darren Ralves is I mean that guy is a beast of a person and it's really exciting to be around him as, as whenever you have the opportunity yeah yeah I mean yeah and so that those, those interviews I think have been amazing some of the ones you did last year were brilliant um here's some of the stories of those Thanks. guys who were who were like touring around on the world cup in the 60s and stuff like that I mean, that was just brilliant yeah, some of the, the, those ones yeah i think the the us's uh relationship with the world cup is is just it's very unique yeah. i think and uh i think that on some level i just want to kind of keep that perspective alive because in a lot of ways it's still the same now mm. um and I think it's important that, that uh, you know, to really appreciate the future or the present. I mean, understanding the past is a really great key to that. And I've always been a kind of a history geek anyway, like most men. So mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I thought that was critical <laughs> to, to keep that stuff, those stories alive. Yeah, well, so, so I mean, and, and it's interesting because what's happened is there's, a, there's another podcast come out, which is the one that Ed Drake does, which is the has now sort of replaced your World Cup preview and, and review slot which is mm -hmm. which is good listening as well um but it never oh, goes in, it never goes into the well sometimes it goes into the depths but the the, the, the real kind of the, the stuff that darren was saying about being in the wind tunnel and if you have like a you have your speed suit over two buckles it wasn't as fast as with one buckle i mean that's like that's <laughs> crazy detail isn't it oh 
Oh, absolutely. Oh, blown away by that. In a lot of ways, I think it's like being a football quarterback. You know, there's there's just never the nuances and the details just never stop. Yeah, yeah, and you can go down some real rabbit holes, I guess, with that as well. Oh, uh, shit, yeah, that's yeah. it's uh. It can be what we call a little bit of a mindfuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, just before we get into, you know, how did you get to where you are? But my favourite skier on the World Cup right now is Manny Feller. And I just love him because he, there's something, he skis different to everyone else. You know, like yep. I just love how he, his style It's obviously not going to work for him long term. I don't think there's a reason why everyone looks the same, but... My God, that guy is just a crazy man. And I love it. I just love watching him. I, I tune into the World Cup for him now. Not, you know, it was the Hersher show, but now I'm like, did Manny Feller make the top 30? If he did, I'm I'm watching it. You know, it's really, really cool. Yeah, I think it's important. Uh, I, I love it. You, you you mentioned Manny Feller too, because uh, I love I love uh, grabbing onto guys that are have some sort of uniqueness to it. Might not be, as you said, you know, sustainable, but in the moment, having success with doing something really different is is pretty fun to watch. Yeah. I've been absolutely blown away and loved watching Danny Yule lately. So mm. uh, I just feel like his, uh, where he's balancing his center of mass on the top of the boot, especially in his transitions, like coming out of the turn and into the next turn is in, and then the way he's able to stay grounded to the outside ski connected to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we often say, I, I often say to the kids a lot, you know, the, the guy that wins the slalom race is the one who's on the top of the boot the longest. Yeah. Uh, the most the most consistently throughout the run. And that's what you're seeing right now. So he's really tapped into that balance point and has taken advantage of it. Yeah, it's true. And those last two World Cups, funny enough, I mean, I thought I thought in Madonna and I thought in um, in uh, Adelboden, I thought... Um, Christofferson had done enough, you know, he'd skied more of those, more or less perfectly those two runs. And then then Newell's just come down and smoked him on those last you know, those last two runs. Um, which is you know, he must be gutted, you know. It was happening to him last year with Hersher and it's happening to him all over again like this year. Poor guy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it kinda of, in, in a way when when Hersher was still active, um, you know, in a way it reminded me of uh, Yuri Kojir and Alberto Tomba in the late 90s where they went, uh, you know, Tomba was winning everything and Yuri was coming in second every yeah. single race. <laughs> yeah. you know, but now what's interesting is even with Hersher retired now, Christopherson still has to fight as hard as he can because, yeah. you know, you'd imagine that he would have stepped into that role, yeah. yet it's it's not coming to him like, you know, maybe you would have perceived it to have. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. And Daniel Yule, by the way, is half British. He's got one Swiss parent, one uh, British parent. So I'm just going to put that out there. He's yeah, his mother, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, that means we've got two guys in the top 15, which is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> right, come on then. So tell me your story. Now, how do, how do you know all of these, these guys on the US ski team? What is your, what's your story growing up, and how did you become or end up like the under fourteen coach, um, under fourteens uh, ski team coach at, at Sun Valley. Gosh, um, this that's a that is a long. Uh, <laughs> that question has a long answer to it, and I'll, I'll try to do be as brief as possible. Go on then. Um, I ju- I just grew up in New Hampshire um, skiing on 
these kind of smaller hills. So a lot like kind of almost being Swedish in a way, you know, you've got a lot of uh, small training hills all around where you live in, in pretty easy proximity. So you always get midweek training and it's usually slalom. Mm-hmm. So, and I was just, you know, for the circuit that was in New England, I was just a pretty strong skier in that little zone. Um, and unfortunately, wasn't good enough to make my college team. I got cut, and my roommate was from Park City. And there's a couple other guys on the team as well, also from Park City. And once we got out of college, I was like, "Well, I'm moving out west. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go ski good, good snow and uh, see what's going. Coach a little bit and see what goes on." And um, as it turned out. Uh, one of my uh, good friends from Park City, who I skied in college with, uh, was you know grew up with Ted Ligety, right. and at the time I moved out to Utah in about '08, uh, they were they were roommates. So um, my buddy was living at, in his uh, wife were living with Ted at his house, and so I used to go over there and hang out, and that's when I got to know a lot of the national team guys. Uh, like TJ Lanning and Steve Nyman and mm-hmm. Tommy Beachmeyer and you know the list goes on yeah. and pair that with the job at the Park City Ski Team where a lot of these guys were alumni of uh, and you kind of just start piping your way into a light interaction with the national team. The national team, the U.S. national team is based out of Park City, Utah. So I kind of just leveraged all those things to to be more exposed to. A lot. I, I, I firmly believe uh, being a student of whatever it is that you're passionate about is uh, an approach that always keeps you learning and always keeps you engaged and always keeps you uh, looking for more opportunity to grow. And mm. that's kind of how this whole thing kind of, that's the short end of how this all kind of blossomed. Now, to getting, getting to Sun Valley, um, you know, working in Utah and going to ski races all across the West. Um, you kind of ended up a couple times a season up here in Sun Valley, and I just knew there was something really, really special about it. And so I, I started developing a lot of coaching friends up here, you know, and you get to know each other on the road and on the circuit and stuff, and I'd come up and visit and hang out and hmm. do other projects with coaches from around here. And eventually it led me to uh, meeting my wife, who was a ski racer who grew up here in Sun Valley, and uh, it was pretty easy to, uh, you know, you've got, you've got a place that you absolutely love to death and know you can live in for the rest of your life yeah. and enjoy yourself. But at the same time, you've got an uh, absolute uh, badass wife that can ski as good as anybody. And, yeah. and put those two things together and it's like, well, you know, what else is there? <laughs> yeah, okay, I hear you. Um, what makes Sun Valley so special? You know, it's, it's just got this rich integrity that reminds us of, you know, skiing in the heyday. Um, it, it, we have a little bit of, uh, we have a tight, it's a tight valley, so there's, it's very limited growth in terms of expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the physical town of, of Ketchum, I think, is about 90% developed, so there's not a lot left to kind of build up around here yeah. we have a hillside ordinance as well and you know it just kind of keeps the place tight plus it's it's even though we have an airport it's still one of the harder places to get to so you know 
if you're coming to Sun Valley, you're here because you really know that it's special and you really want to be here. And that makes it quite a bit more unique than, let's say, a Vale or a Park City where you have major airports uh, nearby and the accessibility is quite a bit higher. And on top of that, um, it's got a rich heritage of ski racing. And uh, we were the first nonprofit ski program in the country mm. back in the uh, 50s, 60s. Uh, the U.S. ski team based its um, nonprofit model off of us as well, uh, and there's a lot of old-time national team guys hanging out here. And furthermore, you know, it, it's for as many good skiers that live here, there's there's really limited ego. So everybody's pretty excited about the same things around here, and everybody's really open and interested in sharing that with each other. So it's a pretty fun community in that regard. While we're while we're on this, then I just that that's really sort of put my interest. And I told you we go off on tangents. What is this? Why yeah. would a ski club not be a non-profit? Why? Sure. Why would it? Yeah. Is that is that the model in the US? In some places, what they look to make money out of the the ski club, or or, or what? I would have thought it'd be something that you do for your community. It, it, yeah, it is, and that's and that's what non-profit organizations really are in, in the US. It's you know it's. You know, the goal is not to make money as and you know pay shareholders and mm. uh, it's 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 about making enough to sustain the business year in year out. So, like, for instance, we have to raise fundraise a million dollars a year just to keep the doors open. Mm. Uh, wow. our and, and because it's such a community based program here, uh, you, you know, I think we charge about half the amount of tuition that it actually takes to support one athlete in the program right. with the coach and whatnot. So, uh, and then furthermore, we have, uh, we just acquired a, a smaller little uh, ski area down uh, about 20 minutes south of us in Haley yeah. called Rup Run. It's just got two surface lifts yeah. and it really is remnant of, you know, old time yeah. skiing. Uh, and we have free programs down there for the community to, so we can get kids involved e-racing. 20% of our Valley's youth is in our ski program. Wow. And I think it might have even grown this year. So we have roughly almost over 700 kids yeah. in our program, in all, all of the, all of the, what we offer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what, what, what turned me on to, so I spent a lot of time coaching fist racing. Mm -hmm. uh, I was always interested in the top level. How do you get there? Um, what are the nuances, the tricks to the trade? And, you know, I, I always tried to put every single job I've taken in ski coaching, you know, going back to being a student, had to do with who I was working with rather than anything else like mm -hmm. who who is i going to surround myself and learn the most from mm. and, and so that's that's kind of how i you know my journey that's how my journey kind of led itself and after about eight or ten years of coaching fists like well, it's more like eight or nine um i realized that i was spending a lot of time most of the things i was trying to correct and help correct in our athletes in the various programs had a lot to do with fundamentals. And, you know, I would argue that, you know, who you are as a skier 
is large is largely eighty percent developed by the time you're fourteen. Mm. So what you do in your motor skill development years is really going to start is really going to shape what you're going to become. Mm. And so when I looked at the deficiencies of the kids I was working with, I realized that a lot of these things could have been better corrected when they were a lot younger, where, when, when they're like body mechanics and their, and their mindsets had bigger influence. Yeah. And so when I got to Sun Valley, this U14 position came kind of opened and I, and I said, you know, luckily they, they kind of offered it to me and I, and I just, it didn't take very long for me to realize, you know, that's probably the best opportunity for myself to have mm-hmm. it's a program. Uh, we're, we're kind of in a position where we're rebuilding, um, kind of changing shape from the old ways to the new ways um, in terms of how organizations are uh, run now in the U.S. And I just I just decided that this is this was an opportunity where I was going to best serve the community and what we were trying to do. And yeah, it's 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 so we focus a lot on doing things right. We have a very mellow, slowed down progression where we really utilize and thoughtfully attack every single day. Mm. And I think that's that's why we're having as a program a lot of success and a lot of success on the way as well. Mm. It's it, it. I'm just going to go back to what you were saying about where the development is done in adolescence because in the summer I'm I coach what you guys call soccer. And, um, and we have, uh, we, it's really, really obvious when, so I coach soccer within a, a, an international schools environment. And a lot of these kids kind of move from country to country to country. And, and, you know, in, not in every school, there is a, a football program, right? So mm-hmm. often you'll, you'll have kids turn up to training at the start of one, one term who are kind of teenagers and they will be trying to do the things that you're asking them to do, but they won't have those base motor skills that you learn normally between the ages of maybe six and nine. That's when you get all the basics done with, with a lot of the, the, the football movements that you need. I mean, there are there's a certain sort of fundamental movement movements that you need to be able to have in order to be able to play. And I imagine it's the same with skiing. So if you catch and you build those stuff well, I know it's the same as skiing. If you catch and you build all of that skill early, then as they hit the sort of the teenage years, and that if they if you can keep them in the program, and they're still interested and they don't disappear off into you know girls and boys and whatever, um, yeah. you know, the distractions of modern life. Um, then you you're then in a sort of mode of of like perfectioning, perfect. You know, the French words perfectionment. Um, you know, just like shaping performance rather than having to kind of work on all of those those sort of fundamental skills that probably should have already been there way back in the program. Right, and that's that's where as a program, you know, if, you know, in our case, we don't have the same kind of influx. Mm. Uh, we have it, but it's not, uh, I don't think it's at the level that you're dealing with. And that's why we need to have an alignment top to bottom, uh, you know, left to right, the whole picture kind of thoughtfully planned out so that at each level we make sure that we're appropriately attacking what 
what skills need to be developed, you know? And so, yeah, I think it, it sounds to me like you, you, you completely uh, relate to what I just described in terms of, you know, getting to the younger ages and, mm. and what, and that's the one thing I do like about uh, this, this age group of U14, you know, we have, the skill level is across the board. Like we've got a couple of girls this year that, you know, are pure, you know, football, soccer players and, the friend ski race they're like well we want to we want to try that so it's really fun to introduce them to it as well yeah and at the same time we've got you know what i call horses you know horse, you know race horses yeah and uh, so so at the same time you know you're, you're, you're kind of introducing you know your passion to these kids and at the same time you're also working with you know, some 12 and 13 year olds who are elite athletes and could very well track onto the national team and hopefully ski a World Cup one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you do that within age groups? You have like, what, A, B, Cs, uh, like you stream, we, stream them? We keep them all together. We keep them all together. We've got about 30-something kids. Um, when we do break off into groups for the training day, mm. uh, so that, you know, they're getting more individual attention run to run um we'll put like two two kids that are kind of newer together we'll put a few kids that have really good potential experience together and then the same thing with that middle ground because the newer kids can look at the middle ground the middle ground kids can look at the faster kids and if the faster kids have a couple of peers with them then they're pushing each other so and ski racing is such a visual sport that sometimes you could coach them all, all day, but if they see somebody doing it, then they're going to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, to, to me, kind of keeping them all jumbled together, it also avoids a lot of social BS as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right in the in the slot, aren't you? Under 14 is like, ooh. You know, look, girls and there's a girl over there. She looks pretty. I'm kind of getting distracted from my ski racing. Same the other way around. You know, like you, do, what's your do you do you have much? Is that when you start to lose guys out of the program? Uh, it happens more in my experience. It happens more at U16, but we do deal with a lot of social dynamic because you know prior to this, they were you know their parents' children. They were children, and mm. and at this age. We're trying to coach them into becoming people as well so that they can be their own best coach and thoughtfully think about what it is that they're doing mm. every time they're in the bindings. Um, so, you know, and so with that being said, it's, you know, just from a maturation standpoint, you know, they're going from, uh, you know, children to, you know, teenagers or, or young adults and kind of starting to define who they are. Yeah. Like, this is when the ideas kind of start coming in for the first time. So yeah, you have a, there's a lot of different personalities and, and uh, the way kids are trying to and, and, and kids are trying to find their own paths mm. uh, a lot of different manners. So yeah, you, you really just got to be supportive of all of them and know what what uh, when to step in and when to let them be kids. And uh, yeah. luckily this year we got a really really nice group of kids. We're really focused, so uh, you know I'm not really dealing with any parents that are a little on the absurd side. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, with, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of pieces just from a structural standpoint of how you know just from being a nonprofit and 
you know, capitalism, et cetera, that kind of really have, creates some, some pretty interesting nuances and differences between us and how Europe develops. Mm. In, in, well, in, in what way do you see that? Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of times when you get to the, uh, the that fifth age level, Mm. In, in Europe, it's, it becomes government funded, and there is a national. That's when the national pipeline kind of develops. So if you're not in that pipeline, yeah, you have to find your own way. And a lot of times, that doesn't include continuing on. Whereas uh, I've heard that I've heard that on a number of occasions when. So I've, I've actually I'm in, in. I just had that conversation the other day with a, with a guy. He's kind of half Belgian, half. Um, half British, but he was born in Switzerland, currently doing, you know, gone through the whole thing to do with Switzerland. And the the, yep. the cut-offs, because the, the pyramid is so big over here, mm -hmm. you know, the base is so big that they can just cut people off brutally. You know, I, pe I know people who haven't made the next level, you know, because they're one fist point out, for example, you know, and it's just like, ah, you're gone, that's it. Um, just because there's, I guess, this huge sort of conveyor belt behind them of... of of uh of athletes coming through you know and that, yeah. that's the way that they separate it um it's interesting i don't know whether you have yeah. the yeah. same participation I, I, numbers it can be a little bit like that as well mm. but at the end of the day you know it's a pay to play so if you can afford to do it yeah. and you have the you have the passion and the drive you can keep going as long as you want yeah 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 and maybe you'd be mm. a late developer or something and you know you come through come through a bit later on. You know? Yeah, and that's what we're finding more often now, especially in the male side of things, is that you can see it on the work. I mean, it's, it's pretty exciting to see uh, Clement Morel doing what he's doing at such a young age. Yeah. is uh, uh, the same way. Christopherson's the same way. But in terms of, you know, for instance, Tommy Ford's 30 years old, won his first World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and Dave, Dave Riding hasn't really come through, has he, until later on. He spent a lot of time bubbling around in the Europa Cup and working his way up and through. It looks like slalom is almost like a collection of experience, almost. It certainly is. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the U.S. produces individuals, not whole, not whole groups. And a lot of that, it, there's, a, there's quite a bit more, I think, self-discovery that's occurring in our uh, pipeline. Mm. And, uh, you know, so Tommy is a pretty big video junkie, mm -hmm. uh, have to be, and he's also, you know, um, very considerate towards his equipment and whatnot. And a lot of that has to do with being over in Europe and instead of getting frustrated, trying to figure out what, what works and what's going on over there. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's a really great, that's a really great, uh, description of how most Americans are, are trying to approach this. Mm. Does that still apply for someone like, I don't know, say Michaela Schifrin? Seems like she's got a lot of support behind her. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, More so than the others. I think I think Michaela has been on her own trajectory all along. I think uh, that she's, uh, you know, they've they've they look that that campaign looks past what's going on right now, and I think is is solely focused on. Uh, doing things correctly, yeah, and like the way that you'd ideally try to prescribe them, mm. 
So they're they're looking past. They're they're not. They're they're definitely as much as they are living in the presence. The the present. They're looking as uh, mm. far for, forward in terms of the development and the skiing. Yeah, yeah. To, to eliminate complacency and uh, mm. just create. Uh, just 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 keep looking for the bigger picture versus versus the right now. And I think that's that's something that people can get caught up in pretty easily. Mm. Just taking you back to the your adolescent under fourteens, sure. where does where does the ski club stand on um, mobile phones? I tell you the reason I ask this because a bunch a bunch, uh, it's like a, the 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 subject of the day, right? But the the sure. there's a bunch of international schools that I work with have all just banned it on school premises. No phones, none at all. France has just banned mobile phones on school premises, and they did a survey. I surveyed this some analysis at Arsenal Football Club, um, mm-hmm. and they said that they banned mobile phones from the the training ground completely, and the reaction time of the athletes improved by 0.2 of a second. Now that I would imagine, when you're looking at the marginal gains that you're looking at in ski racing, is there any you know to a certain extent is there any place for that kind of you know mobile phones or, or whatever? In in and around the training environment, um, I'm writing this down because I'm blown away at what you just told me. Yeah, uh, reaction time—that's crazy, isn't it? Point uh, two of a second. I mean, this is you know in terms of sprinting or or I don't know making decisions. You know, they said it, that's a huge amount of time. You know, even ski racing, even in football, that's a huge amount of time. Um, you know, to make a decision or to see a pass open up or maybe not open up or disappear or to make that, you know, to make that run there, the other. It seems like, seems like a big game to be had there for me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, that, that, that sounds, uh, that sounds completely, that sounds completely on point, you know. Um, to be honest with you, uh, it, I don't really deal with too much of a, of a phone issue yeah. uh, with, with my kids. Uh, I think, at the U16 age, it's a little bit more of a problem uh, because you know in Idaho you can drive a car, but you can get your license at 15, and that no, just goes what? back. No way. Yeah, that and you can get your permit 14 and a half, and at 14 years old you can get a special um, license to drive tractors. You know, so it's all it's all based around agriculture. Exactly. So, oh, it's 15 year olds uh, driving around. Yeah, totally. You know, it's and it's and it's crazy because when they're U fourteens with me, they're like these little kids who, who are barely starting puberty, and then a year or two later, they're you know, grown ass people driving around cars, bumping music all pretty loud, and oh my god, yeah, what just happened here? It's like really overnight. And I think that's when that's when the phones become the distraction because you know they're, they're making plans or they're. Mm. Whatever I don't know. They, they have, the independence just kind of skyrockets in a pretty short period of time. Yeah, I mean, if I see it as a problem, and it's kind of more or less on an individual basis, you know. So that's kind of how we address it. So if you're a kid that we clearly see being distracted by having their cellular device on you, mm. then that's something we'll address. But for the most part, we don't really. I, I, it's not too big of a problem. For us, and I think that's also uh, 
just part of our culture as well. You know, our kids are pretty passionate about skiing. Their parents are pretty passionate about skiing. Everybody, going back to what makes Sun Valley special, you know, everybody's here because they just love to ski. Mm. And it's, and it's, and if, if it was, any if it was any less passionate than that then they could easily be anywhere else yeah uh going back to how hard it is to kind of get here and um how small of a community it is you know there's a real real drive a real reason for them wanting feeling connected to this and doing this and Mm. that translates to the kids i mean the kids are um all they want to do is ski Mm. So we definitely, that's part of, part of, you know, a big part of why I love coaching in this program is that, you know, the, the passion is there. And if, and if you're a kid that, you know, is on the bubble of that, it's pretty easy, it's pretty easy to get influenced into that direction because you're surrounded by a lot of other kids that, you know, and maybe they're not the best skiers here, but they're still a damn good skier and is going to bomb down, you know, the bulls in the backcountry and, yeah, yeah. Uh, lot of do a lot of stuff that you know i didn't grow up doing it's pretty exciting to see and i'm just really glad that uh you know my kids are going to be able to have that opportunity to grow up like that as well yeah yeah terrific okay um when you go so you've seen a number of different age groups yes within within you know you're bouncing around in the in the, the various setups what are there are there common focuses within the different age groups or is it are you then you know what what age are you getting down to kind of it becomes more individual to the individual well the other the other thing too about u14s prior prior you know when i was kind of coaching fist and had the epiphany Mm. i think u14 is is the hub of of all the careers it's and, and, and even in the U.S., like for instance, when you're U12, you go to your spring champ- championship series and you're racing against just your division, mm-hmm. and you spend all season going to qualifiers that include just half of your division. Get mm-hmm. to your 14s, now your qualifiers include the whole division, so it's like going to your U12 championship every weekend. Mm-hmm. Then from there. Now your cha- your top tier championships include the entire region, mm. and there's three, three regions in the U.S. And from there, you can even qualify for U16 nationals, which is a a massive leap forward. And then also Whistler Cup, which is international. Okay. So this is so 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 the if the exponential curve at this age group goes up pretty damn quick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then U16s has its own kind of version of that as well that's um, a little bit bigger as well. But this is the first time, you know, it kind of goes from working on pole plants and wiping your boogers to uh, to now all of a sudden you got to start visualizing. you got to know how to tune your skis, uh, prep the night before. But a lot of the nuances come in, start coming into play. And so... For me, it's a big, it's a big, it's really, we put a lot of importance on training them to understand all, a lot of those keys. Now, you know, 12 and 13, it's really hard to understand 
all of these pieces, but we try to expose them to all of it in a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different ways so that if they can pick up one or two nuances in a lot of different facets, mm. and then they're going to be much better off than they were before. And then even if they heard us talk about it, but not necessarily implement it themselves, maybe it'll click at U16 and then maybe, and then be better prepared for FIS or even be, it'll click at FIS. And, mm. uh, but there's a lot of exposure we try to give them so that they're preparing themselves. Now, in terms of how you attack the different age groups, I'd say U14 is the beginning of when it all starts to get kind of, you, you got to start talking to them like people. Yeah. Uh, you got to start, and, and it's it's crazy. It's a trip for the first years, the twelve year olds, because you know we're not we're not coddling them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, yeah, there's a lot of self responsibility you're learning, and that's the big part of the first year. A lot of the first years and the second years might be one of the biggest gaps in in maturation, just because it takes them a whole year to kind of figure it out, and the next year they come a little bit bigger, a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, big, a pretty big just emotional and physical growth that occurs in that time from 12 to 13 in a lot of cases. Mm. And so that's, uh, I mean, watching that evolution at this age group is a big part of the reward. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and so, um, you know, I think conceptually U14 to fish, like, you know, I don't dull it down. I still coach these U14s like I'm, like I'm still trying to coach a fist athlete mm-hmm. to uh, make U.S. nationals or something like that, and um, I think that's really helpful for for them, uh, and especially and then just getting to them to understand the concepts. Yeah. Anyway, I, I digressed a little bit there. Um, yeah, I think I, I just think I think you know it's just the the emotional. You got to understand the emotional capacity and the, the intellectual capacity of each age, and that dictates how how severe you dive into different topics with them, or uh, how severe you know your your nuances are going to kind of translate. Um, you know, if if you understand where your skiing needs to be at U fourteen, then you might understand better how to attack skiing a rut. At U16 or, or at the fist level, or getting your foot in the groove, or how important it is to have your heart rate up in the start mm. in a slalom. Because, you know, if you're a great skier and you're at a race where you're starting in the 40s, well, that means there's 30 something great skiers in front of you. Yeah. And who are all the, who all want to ski that same line. And you get into those grooves and it, they start taking you. And yeah, it's the line you want, but it's mm. coming at you more aggressively than you might have hoped for yourself in training or whatnot. So you, you know, you got to get in the start gate almost ready to do a hundred meter sprint, yeah. uh, you know, in that regard. So it's just, it, it, so how you approach these different topics might look a different, might look a little different, but they're the same. It's the same content. Mm. It's just how you present it that kind of fluctuates as they get older. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to give, you know, I had U sixteen coaches are great friends of mine who I really respect a lot, and their knowledge is U racing. Same thing with the fist staff. Mm. Same thing U twelve and down here. So what I'm trying to do is just take take this incredible product 
that the younger programs deliver to me and then prepare them so that those U16s and, and FIS coaches have an opportunity to take to advance these kids versus having to take a step back and, and represent um, kind of baseline stuff that they need to have to be an elite athlete. Yeah, 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 I see that. That's really, um, and that, that, that responsibility kind of weighs, it must weigh quite heavily, right? Because you're, you're a, a sort of in, integral part of this sort of conveyor belt that carries these guys through. And yeah, you've got to deliver, just, you know, you've got to deliver a good product to the guys ahead of you, right? Yeah, I think, and I think having that experience, at the fist level with Norams and 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 uh, international racing, to get a clear picture of what that is, uh, is really important because then you bring it down to the U14, and it's not just at at Sun Valley. This is this is everywhere. So if you're a U14 coach anywhere in the world. Mm. You got to realize that your role is actually quite a bit more is more responsible than any of the others. And to be honest with you, I thrive off of that. I, I like I like having that response. I like being challenged with the fact that I've got to get these kids ready yeah. to be for the next level to be elite athletes. I, lo I love I love having being that being my responsibility, and uh, we really pride ourselves on trying to do a great job with that. Mm. Mm. Okay, cool. So this podcast is, is quite different to some of the ones that we've done before, which have focused maybe on, uh, on um, uh, some of the more bureaucratic aspects. Uh, certainly the one with, um, with Simon last week was, was more to do with the law of ski instructing here in Europe, but uh, this one really gets down into the, uh, the details of skiing and, and a bit more chat about the World Cup and, uh, and uh, my favourite skier at the moment, Manny Feller. So I hope you enjoyed that first half there. Um, part two is where we really get into the, the, the kind of the technical stuff. Um, Taco talks to us about the sort of the magic three points of skiing that, that, that he really works on with um, with his young skiers uh, in Sun Valley there. We get on to some more technical discussion and, and, and we talk about recreational turns versus racing turns, coaching versus instructing and uh, and so on. So um, I really hope that, that, that you enjoy uh, the second half here. Uh, of the podcast um thank you I, I get um i meant to say thank you to all the people who get in touch to tell me um about the last podcast and, and how much they enjoyed it um i really really value everyone who who took the time to get in touch uh with me to talk about um the simon butler issue um and uh, and thanks for all those other other comments that i hear about um uh, about the podcast in general it's lovely to know that, that, that we've got a whole bunch of kind of skiers and out there that, that that is listening to the podcast so i really appreciate that and um yeah in, enjoy the second half of this and uh, and i'll catch you on the on the next podcast see you Um, and I think I think yeah. our results are I think our results show that we we're we're doing predominantly doing a great job with it. <laughs> well, that's good, right? That's good. Yeah, and, and you, you get all the pieces in place, and and it should be like that. You know, it's uh, the the result takes care of itself. You were talking about this recently, right? It's, uh, and and I've been I've been 
using this a lot as I was going through my process of doing sort of ski instructor exams is like you don't you don't focus on the end you focus on the process you just do the process right you put all the steps in place you do them to your best ability and you know the goal just becomes something that happens it's not it's not something to fixate upon yes yes but the goal the goal needs to be there as well because then that's going to constantly uh, re- help you reassess your ba- the, the, the baby step goals that mm. uh, there. So, you know, if you know your goal is X, then that's going to that's gonna dictate how each day is approached. Mm. Yeah, I see. And I think, I think the, um, the real test to, to determine whether or not you're being successful with that is can these kids go to a race without you or get older without you and still perform these tasks and be completely proficient without you. Mm. You know, you, you don't want you don't want them to have to need you every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're then you're you're sort of you're also you're transitioning from that that I need you every day to what more like a pro athlete looks like at the top end, which is you know you know you're you know you're skiing so well that you're your coach, your individual coach is kind of eventually just like a, he's a sort of mentor. He's a sort of, you know, someone to talk to kind of figure with a, you know, with a decent eye, you know, that, that, that's, that's the sort of the way that you're trying to take them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. They need to be their own best coach. Mm. They need to let, what, have a strong understanding of what they need to be doing themselves so that they can, and then also with the convey and clearly communicate that. So, you know, you, you get away from the idea of telling an athlete what to do versus and, and, and evolving more into something that looks like a conversation about what they want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll never forget those stories. I don't know whether they're true or not. Of like uh, Bodie Miller when he was kind of just going and doing his own, doing his own thing. He literally, instead of hiring a coach there, he just hired a videographer. It's like, hey, you guy, you just film me and I can, I know my own skiing pretty well. So I can just work out what's, what's going wrong or right myself. I don't know whether that's true or that's just like a uh, an old wives' tale, you know. Well, I gotta believe that there's uh, whether or not that that what you just described is physically true. Mm. Uh, I have to I have to believe something along those lines is because you know he separated from the national team on his own for a year or two there with Team America, um, and he's always had his own idea of what it is that he's trying to do. And you know what, Ted isn't any different. Tommy isn't any different. Lindsay wasn't any different. Um, I think the, the, you know going back to our pipeline is embracing individualism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's you know it's not we don't it is. I feel like there's three basic points that need to occur in everybody's skiing, and from there, however you get there, can look a lot different, and that's okay. Um, obviously some, some ways of doing it are going to be more effective than others. Mm. And that's the difference, you know, that's the difference between whether or not many, many fellers technique is going to be sustainable. Mm. I certainly think that what we're seeing out of Danny Ewell is, is massively sustainable. Yeah. Uh, and same with Christopherson for that matter. So, mm. um, you know, there's, there's better ways of going about it than others, but you know, in terms of biomechanics and how how they initiate turns it, that, that that's all up to that's all up to you 
I can, I, can, I can hear the podcast listeners screaming out, what are those three points? You're going to have to say them because uh, <laughs> they're going to want to know. In fact, I want to know, so you have to tell me. Uh, ankles, inside half, and depth. Come on, explain. Right, we're going, I'm going to write these down. Ankles, because this, this actually puts me nicely into the next box I'm going to talk about. Ankles, inside half. Yep. And depth. Yes. Come on then, let's start with ankles. Okay, so uh, a- ankles and inside half are both are both uh, technical concepts. Depth is a tactical concept. So, um, you know, when I was working, Michaela's coach is a guy named Mike Day. And Mike Day is uh, one of my greatest mentors. He actually coached before Michaela. We worked together in Vermont. And, and prior to that, he was... Uh, he's got before, well before Michaela. He has one of the most unique careers of any U.S. ski coach because he coached uh, Ted Ligety both as a junior athlete and when he was winning, you know, his, all his GS titles and oh, wow. three that world champs. And uh, then he also coached Brody Miller as a junior athlete and as a World Cup athlete. Okay. So. So he's, he was there in the development phase, and he was there in the professional, you know, winning it all sort of timeline for these guys. And we just decided, and this is kind of something he, I think he kind of came up with when he was really involved with Ted. And it was just a simple way of dulling down everything into three boxes. Uh, and all the, all, of the, all the other nuances kind of fall into that. So with ankles, they have to be flexed forward, and that gets pressure to the top of the boot. I really don't care about shins in front of the boots. Anybody who uses the term shin in front of the boot, that's that's kind of an older term. Oh, man, you, you just shut down my, my whole, like, you know, everything I talk about every weekend. But okay, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can you could still be sitting in a chair position on the tail of your skis and have your shins in the front of the boot, but you can't be in that position and get pressure to the top of the boot because that's what sends uh, pressure to the tip of the ski, so that the ski can initiate and tip up. You know, so then there's that lateral component, obviously, as well. But the, how your center of mass sits on the ski on the boot has a lot, largely has to do with having that ankle flex forward. Shlopey used to talk about, Eric Shlopey used to talk about shoving his toes to the top of the boot. And I think that is a great way to start anybody who doesn't necessarily have an awareness of this yet mm. is just take your toes and shove them to the top of the boot and immediately, even just standing yeah. uh, in a quick stance on your skis, you're going to feel that pressure immediately come. Now, what do you mean, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, because there's going to be some people nerding out about this, and I'm one of them. Where do you, where do you mean the top of the boot? So you take your toes and, and just, and just try to push them onto the roof of the boot. Yeah, and then your ankles flex, because that's just biomechanics, they, they do that. So your ankles flex and your weight goes forward. Now, where yeah. do you mean on the top of the boot? If you don't mean shins on the, on the tongue... Where do you mean the top of the boot? Where is that place? The top of the tongue. The top, top of the, the tongue. tongue. So, yeah. so that 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 very first part of the shin, the top part of the shin that interacts with the boot. That's where you want to feel the pressure okay. on the boot. So where that power strap is, roughly. Yeah. That's that's where you want to be, and the ankles flex forward, 
And then there's another concept that uh, I pair with that, and that's called shoulders in front of the toes. So you want the shoulders rolled in, 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 in front of the toes, so to speak, so that, that also continues to support the center of mass on the top of the boot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and then another great way to, to look at it is also, uh, so there's a breaking point. You know, you have to be careful with the with the term shoulders in front of the toes. And, and yeah. the best way to, to kind of identify whether you've got it or not is, does the to- if you look at a profile shot of an athlete in a turn, mm. does the torso, or even in a transition, does the torso match the lower leg? So they should roughly be at the same angle. Yeah, okay. And that's a great way to identify whether you're watching video or, um, you know, usually it's through watching video. Mm-hmm. To understand where that balance point is, if you're if you're not if your core strength isn't developed enough to, to feel the difference yet. Well, to be fair, this this I'm writing this around the thought bubble that says coaches versus versus instructing, but actually, this doesn't just apply to ski racers. You know, this kind of you know, decent stance at transition applies to is applies to regular skiers too, right? Oh, absolutely. I think it's funny. The same skills that help generate speed and skiing are also the same skills that help you navigate, you know, skiing down, you know, off-piste or, or, or crushing a, a run of powder or yeah. whatever. You know, you, you still want those ankles flexed forward. Yeah. Um, it's just whether or not, the only thing that changes is how much pressure you're, you're shoving that hip into the top of the boot, you know. Mm. Uh, slalom turn versus a downhill turn versus a powder or off-piste run that's that to me is a real critical difference otherwise the positioning stays the same yeah okay okay it's interesting that because i've got i've got a real bugbear with some people i i often have clients turn up for for lessons and it happened to me two or three times last year and i look at their the way that they're sitting in their boot and often they'll be in some sort of, I don't know, horrible rental boot or something. But it just keeps their lower leg so upright that there's nothing you can do with them. Yeah, it's also, yeah that's the other thing too is with, with the, the ankles flex pressure on the top of the boot, that's the most athletic place you're going to be on the ski. I mean, you can make, you know, going back to the same things that generate speed versus, you know, making nice turns off piste or sliding the turn around on a steep pitch or whatever, you know, that's the most athletic place where you're going to be able to have the most control and dictation on the ski. Yeah. So, if you, you know, that's, that, yeah. that's going to allow you to make the turn whatever you want it to be. That's right. And, you know, if you've got, if you've got your boots set up right, in theory, it's quite easy just to turn both your legs around and make a, a parallel turn. It is almost as simple as point your feet where you want to go, at a more mm-hmm. recreational level. But if your boot is key, if your boot cuff is keeping you too upright, it doesn't matter what you do, because you're gonna, you know, your your rear inside tip is gonna be dragging in the snow. There's, there's nothing you can do. You know, the equipment issue is massive in that respect. Yeah, for sure. There's uh, yeah, absolutely. The boots are the most important part of any of the, the, the boots are the engine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, um, and then you know, in, inside half has a lot to do with uh, stack positioning and level pelvis, level shoulders. So your inside half of your body, when you roll into a turn, needs to stay up so you you can support the outside ski Mm. and that edge angle and and, uh, 
um, getting getting pressure onto it. I mean, if your shoulder inside shoulder is dipped in, you can't press, you can't push against the outside ski. Yeah. Uh, if you're keeping it up, then you're going to be able to get pressure to the outside ski. And then you know, furthermore, if you're rotated or countered, yeah, you know, that's you want to use your skeletal alignment as much as possible uh, to to support what what that outside ski getting the most out of that outside ski. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that, and that also can include your hand position too. You know, where, where are your arms? You yeah. Know, what does arms forward mean to you? Yeah. I know where my arms are and it certainly isn't forward. <laughs> I've got a terrible habit I'm trying to fix this season. It's one of my focuses is, is my habit as I go in is that my, my inside hand will drop. Uh, sure. I talked to a few people about that, and they, they kind of think oh, it's almost like a it's like, like a, a sort of parkour kind of thing. You know, you sort of you have the hand down there. It sort of supports your body to go round because I'm reasonably rotary in my ice ski. But if you that's something that I've been thinking about a lot this year is like, well, okay, you plant the pole, but the pole stays up, so I don't let it drop anymore. And I'm trying to square my shoulders off a little bit or level them off a little bit more. Um, it's, it has quite a it has quite a powerful effect on the outside ski actually. It gives it more grip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah keep going. Hello. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No. No. Sorry. Right. It, it, it seems to create a better stack. So the outside ski grips better if that hand doesn't drop. It's just a habit thing, but it's uh, so it's, that's one of my focuses this season. Is that that exact thing. Yeah, it's amazing how, how subtle of a focus that is too, right? It's just yeah. so simple yeah. and, and really subtle in terms of the change that you need to make, but it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, yeah, it does. Okay. Um, and then to, uh, and to depth, um, and that for me, uh, kind of, it, it's really, it's, no one really likes using this word, but I, I haven't figured out a better way of saying it. But just being patient to let yourself get across the to the rise line before you start your turn. So that's roughly somewhere above the gate. So whether it's the inside pole, the outside pole, um, uh, if it's a single slalom gate, maybe just prior prior to. Mm. But you want to make sure your body's getting above the gate before you start that turn because you know. <coughs> If you if you're not giving yourself that room, it doesn't matter how much you're rolling that edge over. Mm. You know your your body's going to have to tighten up and get smaller and, or or lose some of that edge angle to be able to get yourself around the gate. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of kids, especially when they come to us, kind of see the gate and they just go right for it because that's what they're trying to turn around. Whereas, yeah. you know, what you really want to be doing is seeing the snow above the gate of where you want to start your turn. So we use a lot of brushes to kind of identify that space. I, I do it pretty loosely so they still have the freedom uh, to, to make that decision for themselves. And then depending on how well they can snap off the turn, mm. that dictates where on the rise line you want to cross it. Surface also has something to do with that as well, and terrain for that matter. If it's a far away, you want to be on the edge sooner because that elevation is going to want to, that, that gravity is generally is against the fire line. So it's going to want to pull you down 
whereas you need to stay online, so you know you're, you're quick onto that edge to switch those edges. Um, and then, of course, strong inside half on flyaways is really critical mm. and really expose you pretty quickly. Um, it's, so it's funny with the sort of jumping on there, but I've, so there's a you talk about alternate words for depth, but there was a there's a coach. Um, a uh, good friend of mine, Peter, Peter Kuehl. Hi, Peter, if you're listening. He talks about that, but he calls it space for speed. And um, and he gave me a couple of drills to work on with one of the schools that we coach on a, on a Wednesday night under under floodlights uh, in Saint-Serg. And it was brilliant. You should, you know, plop the gates in as normal, but, but, you know, there'll be a brush at the top, maybe a couple of metres above on the rise line above the gate, and then yeah. one below the gate about... Don't know. He said about uh, maybe a, a meter, maybe three um, uh, seventy-five centimeters below the gate, and so you have to you have to come into the gate above the top brush, but you have to exit the gate between the gate and the lower brush. And sure. the, the difference that that made with that training group was incredible. Like it, you know, we did that for two or three weeks straight. But the line that they all started to ski after that was just amazing. It made such a difference to their times. It was incredible. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the first two points you have to do in your free skiing, if you're not getting it done in your free skiing, then it's not going to happen, of course. Mm-hmm. And then, so once you get it done in your free skiing, then all of a sudden, of course, is just all about tactics. Yeah. So in finding where that, where that space is. Whenever our kids are inspecting, you know, we're challenging them. If the brush isn't in the ground, where is that brush for you? Where do you see every turn you're looking for that brush? Mm. Uh, of course, you can't have them at, at the races, so that's our biggest cue. Like, where in this in this course, each turn, where are those brushes for you? See where you want those your turns to be made. Mm. Uh, um, the, the biggest way I, I get kids to buy in on depth uh, is is. You know, you ask them a question like, uh, who feels incredible when they free ski? You know, they all raise their hand. Yeah. Who feels like every turn is a struggle in a race course and every one of them raise their hands? Mm. So if your turns feel like a struggle in a race course, chances are you're not you're not being patient enough to let yourself get above that gate yeah. to make your turn. Yeah. And, and, and furthermore, in the early season, let's say the third or fourth week of development, um, you know, which is basically the middle of December, we'll do a lot of panel slalom with those brushes and we'll actually make them have more depth than usual because now all of a sudden you're taking the technical aspect and putting it into a course where now your turn is dictated, right? That's the difference yeah. between free skiing and a race course. Yeah. Free skiing, you can dictate where you want your turn to be. Mm. So we use that to slow it down. And get them to start and, and get them to focus to get them to focus on the technical pieces of their skiing while their turns being dictated. And once they get comfortable with that, then you can start bringing it in. It's a hell of a lot easier to bring it in than it is to bring it out. Yeah, because they just want to go fast, which is just fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, having an understanding of line is such a is such a a crucial thing you know like and a lot of younger kids you know they'll they'll go straight at the gate straight at the gate and they don't understand that if you go straight at the gate you know you end up way below it after the gate it doesn't work um because you can like so let's say you know i I spend a lot of time riding motorbikes so you kind of and my my father was a was a 
um, as a racing driver when I was young. So, uh, so he, you know, I, it, we sort of grew up with an appreciation of what line looked like in motorsport. Sure. And you see that when you ride down the road in motorbikes and stuff like that. But the difference in motorbikes and, and Formula One, say, is that you've got a, a motor in the back of your car. So you can you can actually take choose to attack the corner quite directly, but you'll be wider and slower out in a in a in that way. Or you can go, you know, wide apex wide again. The difference with ski racing is the only thing you've got to work with is gravity. So, so you don't have that option to go directly towards the gate because you've got nothing to power you out the other side when you're low. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so so you have to you have to have that depth above the gate because otherwise you're not fast. You can't use the gravity to your advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, I mean, just like in car racing, you know, you know, you've got the or, or even motorbikes, like you, you know, it's how that rubber interacts with the pavement, right? Yeah. And then yeah. in skiing, it's all about how that edge in that base interacts with the snow. Mm. And you know, you, you you have different. I imagine as controlled of an environment as a racetrack could be surfaces are going to change from track to track and then weather is going to dictate that as mm. well so just like that in skiing is it soft snow is it hard snow uh is it is it uh, is it wet snow mm. um you know is it a tight turn is it a long turn and how do you want that ski and that's going to dictate how you how that ski interacts with the or with the snow mm. and so you have to make adjustments and you have to have that bag of tricks to understand how to approach each one of those. So once you start thinking about how your ski interacts with the snow, from there you can start building game plans as to how to best attack, you know, that particular race run. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and you can, to a certain extent, with that depth, that patience while you're waiting to get, you know, while you're, no, waiting's the wrong word, while you're sort of, just there's that little bit of patience while you're building you're waiting you know you're going through the transition you're waiting 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 to the moment to turn and at the same time you're you're building edge angle and you're setting up that new outside ski that is completely also relatable to recreational skiers as well because they do the same one of the things that people rush and we just did that with uh we just did a whole session on that with my midweek group from from last week. Hello, midweek group. Uh, if you're out there, hi Lucy. Um, is that you know you've got to have that that patience of the setup. You've got to let the skis run flat, and then gradually start to to bring it in. If you go straight full load from one edge to the other edge, you've got nowhere to go if you've loaded up the edge completely. Sure. Yeah. You're you're you're, you're pretty you're pretty limited at that point. And yeah. so if you're limited at that point. When you want to put yourself in the field of back on a race course, I mean, you don't you want to put yourself in that position where that limitation works for you? Yeah, yeah. and the, the reason why the top of the turn is such an important aspect of where and how you do it is that's with gravity, right? That's in the that's when you're entering the fall line. That's mm. uh, the Norwegians call that free speed. Yeah, so it, for free, you don't have to work for it. Well, you work for it, but it doesn't take the same amount of energy as if you were fighting it. Mm-hmm. And so once, so if you if you kind of look at it that way, like this is this is you know a handout. Go 
you you want to take that hand out. You know, of course you want to have the opportunity to use that in your favor versus fighting it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's why the top of the turn is such a critical critical piece. Yeah, it's true. I was doing that myself on my way back from somewhere today, and I was thinking I'd be going down something that was kind of, you know, relatively manufactured snow, scraped all back to ice. And actually, when I took, you know, my habit at the start of the season is to go, you know, slam from one edge to the other, and it's all a bit too quick and not very patient. And the, actually, I was like, okay, well, no, we're down here, let's, let's set it up. And you don't get so much of that, that sort of juddering and jarring if you set the ski up well at the top of the turn. It doesn't have that same kind of, you know, that horrible thing that the tourists and the, the regular skiers hate when you, they're skiing on that kind of surface where it's sort of, you know, vibrating and scratchy and horrible. If you take the time to set the ski up at the top of the turn, you manage the pressure better around that turn. Yeah, absolutely. At that point, you know, you don't have to have the sharpest edges in the world. If no. you get that gauge, it'll, it'll cut right through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Going back to, to kind of something you mentioned earlier with, between recreational and racing, I mean, I think the biggest fundamental difference with turns as a recreational versus a racer is turns, in recreation, turns help control the speed. Yes. Within racing, you're using the turns to generate speed. Yeah. Whereas really in that 27-meter, uh, you know, kind of use up these, you know, the 165 slow ski was established. Mm. We realize, you know, making turns and going in a straight line, you are actually generating more. You're generating more speed through from from turning than just going straight yes. down the hill. Yes. So that's so now we're not only we're not only using the turns so we can cleanly get around the gate. We're going around. We're using the turn to generate more speed into the next one. Mm. And that, that to me is a clear, the, the biggest fundamental difference between, you know, to, from ski instruction to racing, coaching racing. Yeah, I was hoping we'd get to that because that is, I, I mean, that's where I see it is the bit, it is two different ends of the spectrum, isn't it? You know, we're, we're generally teaching people with, you know, with, I talk all day to people about using turn shape to control the speed, you know, and, and that is the polar opposite with with what you guys are doing you're interested in getting down there as fast as possible yeah and of course you know these kids through their you know whatever set six seven years old all the way up until they get to me are learning those fundamentals that you know you're teaching at a, at a recreational level so that by the time they get to us we can uh, talk about that we can attack that aspect because their knowledge and feeling and understanding for it is is further advanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, so that that to me that's the, that 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 and um, you know I, I I still I do a little bit of ski instructing uh, now and again, like helping friends out or whatever, whatnot. Just because you know I love the sport so much, and if it means someone else is going to enjoy it more, then I'm all for it. Yeah, but. You know, to me, in, you know, in instruction, I think you make a lot more money. Uh, <laughs> okay, but yeah, but I think um, I think you know, with the, with the regards to racing, to be able to uh, be able to uh, be so much more in depth is is much more exciting, and at the same time, uh, <clears throat> having the time, you know, instruction. 
you know, you could have a, uh, a client that comes up. Maybe you see him. If you have a really good steady client, maybe you see him two weeks a season. Maybe a week here, a week there, two weeks at once. Yeah. At that. Versus, you know, I'm with these kids for literally a third of the year. Yeah. You build nice more, relationships. Then. You have an influence on what they're doing and how they're getting better. Yeah. And so that, that, that consistency of development, that autonomy is, is that's, that's the piece that I think is, uh, makes it really exciting because then we end up getting to be way more influential. Yeah. And that's great, isn't it? And, and you get to that moment where, you know, there's probably stuff that those kids that have come through you, they're going to take, you're going to say something to them. You don't, you won't know what it is, but you'll end up saying something to them that really, really, had or one of you it might not even be you like it might be the, the guy in the next age group or the one below you'll say something to that kid and that kid will take that through their whole life and when they're like 55 or something be like yeah you remember that guy taco he said this to me you know way back when and you have that, oh, that opportunity when you're with kids for that for that long oh i think it's uh whether they get it with you or not i mean i definitely you know i remember uh when i was taking a postgraduate year racing i had this french coach sam bertaki and everything that he tried to coach and, to, and, and put into me I, like at the time like i just hadn't been around somebody at that level or thought about it or coached it the way he had mm-hmm. uh and i mean it was literally two years later everything that he was trying to tell me clicked ah yeah and, you know and so from you know at the time you're in the moment getting coached you're like yeah I, I get i hear what you're saying i just don't i mean yeah the thoughts aren't connecting and then literally two years later it was like wow uh-huh. and that literally that coaching for one season then carried by progression for two seasons after that you know yeah 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 but so you know it all it all kind of comes together you know when you're ready for it in a lot of ways too that's why um we started doing something differently this year uh you know, we still have goal sheets, but what we do once a month, we have this four-question um, piece of paper where the kids sit and, for about 10 minutes quietly and think about uh, their skiing. And the, the, for basically, the first question is, what do I think I'm working on? Huh. You know, so, so it can be something a coach has told you. It can be an idea that you came up with with your, for yourself. And then the next three questions gets you to elaborate on that. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then so when we read it as coaches, we can see where they think they're at. Because a lot of times, maybe they should be working on X, but their brain might not have gotten past yeah. another piece, uh, the other pieces yet. Mm-hmm. Like they're not ready to go in this other direction they still think they're mastering something else. And that gives us as coaches a really clear understanding, not to mention just the uh, exercise of putting thoughts into written words Yeah. also earns that for them. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it gives us a clear understanding of what they think. So when, instead of us talking about something that, that's, that's not on their radar, we can attack things that are, and they're going to be more receptive to that. And then at the same time, maybe we can leverage those things into what they should actually be doing. Yeah. Or what we think is the best direction for them. Um, you know, we're not always, you know, we're not always going to be right, but this, this, this bridges that gap very clearly. And I think that's something that's appropriate to do, whether you're coaching fist kids or U14s or, 
U12s, you know. And then again, it also, because it has the follow-up questions, it gets them to really clearly explain what their idea of these things are as well. So, you know, if you're a kid who's just saying, oh, i got to keep my hands up, and you don't know what that means, hmm. well, you really don't have an understanding of what your scheme is supposed to be doing. Yeah. But if you can clearly explain what hands up forward mean to you, mm. um, you know that might include keeping your inside hand up. You know now you have a now you have an athlete that can paint that picture, and yeah. if they can't clearly explain it, well then you got to keep working with them so that they do because it's you know you have to understand it from a fundamental standpoint in order to implement it. It can't just be you know. Oh, I'm working on keeping my hands forward. Well, you know, to be honest with you, there's moments where keeping your hands forward is actually prohibits the skiing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So that's that's uh, that's a yeah, anyway, that's a big that's a big part of what we're trying to do. No, it's really cool. It's nice and that that, that goes with the you know, that, that carries on with that idea of independent thought, doesn't it? You're progressing people well, to the next level. And I feel like you could do that within ski instruction as well. Like, So, for instance, like I've got this one guy that I ski with maybe like every other week, which is great because then he spends two weeks thinking about what we talked about, and then he's able to come back with an understanding of what it is mm. and be, we are able to elaborate on it. But you could do that with any instructor. It's not like, you know, the, the, the worst thing you can do with somebody, I think, is, you know, Take them down the, the bunny slope, the, the, the easy slope, you know, see their skiing and start telling them what to do. Yeah. What you really want to do, you can take, go take that run, but ask them what they think. What, what are they focusing on? What are you focusing on? What are you thinking about in your skiing? Because if you're only going to be with them that day or that week, then you can at least give them ideas to expand on that that can still take, help them take their skiing to where it, it needs to go so they can successfully navigate off piste or steep runs or mm. uh, you know whatever it is that they're trying to do so that's not just a racing thing you know no what i'm one of one of the things i'm trying to do at the moment well i'm not trying to do i've always done it but is is in addition to just saying you know this is what we're doing down on the bunny slope you've got to explain the why behind it you've got to give oh, people, hey. you've got to give people that information because if they don't have the reason why behind it, then they're not going to get to this place that you're talking about. You know, so what, what is the point of me doing this? Well, this is the reason why. Here is why it works, and then you can go away and you know play with these things. You know, do whichever one of these things works for you. It's uh, yeah, absolutely. Why, why would you want to do anything that you, that you don't understand? Like why? Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're if you're playing um, if you're playing uh, football or soccer, like why would why do I want to spread the field out? Why would I want to move to open space? Why would I want to do any of these things? Because mm. yeah, you're, you're absolutely spot on. And how how you approach that really is the art, right? And yeah. that's what really separates yeah. all of us from one another and, and what makes us valuable as coaches and instructors and as influencers. Mm. And I think, you know, and I think your average client or your average, uh, average skier that you, you might be teaching is actually... It, is actually a lot more receptive to that kind of information than you would think. You know, it's not a kind of like, this is how you ski. It's like, well, are you interested in knowing why? Because if you are, I can tell you. Yeah, there's a balance between spamming them with too much information. But, you know, to understand the reason why you might want to use a bit of flexion in a snowplow, for example, for some people that's interesting. They'll be like, oh, okay, I understand. That makes sense. And then they know, right? They've got that bit of information. 
um, and they can go away and they can deploy it as and when they need to deploy it. You know, it's it's um, it's important that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And then because the, you know, the one thing I love about you know ski racers versus recreational skiers, every time you're putting you're, you're clicking your boots into those bindings, mm. you're constantly thinking and working on something. Yeah, you know, understanding the why is going to build the severity as how critical you think it focus on those things. Yeah, we've got um, we've just started a, uh, a, a an entry level ski instructor qualification course with uh, with our our ski school, um, and I said to these guys, look, you know, be warned because you will never be able to at the moment you're in this sort of stage of of, of bliss, like you you ski. But you don't have to think about anything. But once you know some stuff, you'll be thinking about every turn for the rest of your life. And sometimes it really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I think it's going back to explaining the why and over talking. I think the, the the more clearly you understand it, the actually the more the more you can dull it down. It's kind of like uh, that Einstein's quote. Uh, you know, intellectual people or smart people are able to take, you know, complex information and dull it down into, you know, really simple points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and that's, to be able to do that uh, means to begin with, you have to have a clear, very, very clear, full encompassed uh, uh, idea of what that is to begin with, yeah. you know. So, yeah. it's not like, you know, and I think, you know, ankles inside half in depth, uh, is 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 basically an example of that. So to say to be able to take the whole the whole kit and caboodle, that whole bag of tricks, yeah, and down to three points. I mean, you can argue it. There's and and I think some people even have uh, you know the, the, the episode we had with Jeff Pickering. He boiled he boiled it down to four. Yeah, and for the most part, all of those things, once they became explained, were very uh, closely roughly the same things that I'm talking about. Those are just the three points that, you know, I, I excuse me, we kind of got to. Yeah. That made sense. So, uh, again, because, you know, Jeff, for instance, boils down to four, mm. that's a different way of explaining the same thing. So that might connect better with one athlete versus another. You know, some athletes might connect better to how we're explaining it. Yeah. Some athletes might connect better to how Jeff's explaining it. But if, it, if the end result is getting them to the same place we both perceive they need to go, hmm. then, then, then there it is. That's and that's what provides value for all of us. You know, the perspective that we share and deliver yeah. is 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 what makes us all valuable. No, it's true. And different things resonate with different people, don't they? I mean, I, I explain snowplow in three or four different ways. If I'm doing that, just because one of those will go in for someone. One will go sure. in, but maybe the other three won't. And so, and there will be different types of people goes in different ways. And I think it's, yeah, it's important. You know, I often find myself, you probably find yourself doing it with your, your, your young athletes as well. Like you can explain the same thing three or four different ways and they'll yeah. get it on the fourth go. And you'll be like, ah, oh, you mean that? It's like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. And then the other two is if you know if you're a ski racer, and so every time you're skiing, whether you're a coach or an athlete or a recreational skier that used to race or whatever, <laughs> if you're always thinking about your skiing while you're skiing, mm. 
then your your those 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 points or explanations can evolve. Yeah. You know, for instance, uh, I've been working on my inside half skiing quite a bit, and uh, this is this is an epiphany I kind of had for myself in my own skiing that allowed me to help make some pretty good change this past week with uh, some of our uh, less developed kids. Mm. And you know, I used to think you know inside half you can think of. Um, you know, the pinch on the outside hip, you can think of the tug on the inside low back, you can think of the tug of the muscles or the tendons on the inside hip. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're feeling those things then then that, then you can identify if you're doing it or not. So that's, those are just cues Mm. But you know, you can think about keeping the inside hand up to keep your inside shoulder up, Mm -hmm. but, or you could talk about keeping the hips level. And I saw, I, I thought about all those things lately while I was doing my own skiing, trying to correct this deficiency that I was, ha- I was having mm. and, and none of them really connected for me. None of them, none of them were really working. I felt like every time the shoulders to me was too disconnected from the feet because I'm always fe- thinking about that edge interaction, that feeling of how that edge interacts, because it tells you if you're generating speed or if you're doing things right. Um, against against or with gravity, and then when I thought about my hips, I ended up getting like countered, dumping it in a little bit, mm. and so finally it occurred to me if I think about having a level pelvis, yeah. and that mechanically felt like it connected to the knee and the ankle more. So it was the next, and, and obviously the hips come after the ankle and the knee have done their work. Yeah. Then as you. And the hip, then that's when the hip comes in. And so, thinking about keeping my pelvis level, all of a sudden connected all those dots and had a stronger position in the turn. So then I was able to go to training. I said, "Hey, what do we think about take take us all these ideas of that we have about how we're attacking our inside half, clean them out, start from scratch. Let's think about just keeping the pelvis level." And of course, you do a couple exercises to get them to kind of feel that and think about it. And got started, they started connecting with like three athletes who, you know, we've been talking about inside half with for the last eighteen months. Yeah, Maybe. you know, so so I think you know, in a lot of ways, you have to be continuing to think about your own skiing. And the other thing I also find with 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 doing self discovery in your own skiing is, especially as being a ski coach, is listen to yourself. Mm. <laughs> a lot of times, you know, yeah. a lot of times, if I'm not feeling something, if something feels off in my skiing, chances are it's a concept I talk about every single day with these kids. Mm. And I'm just not listening to myself talking, you know, and trying yeah, yeah, to do yeah. it my skiing. <laughs> no, it's true, right? Like you, the, the, I think there's a sort of you can you can have I don't know what you call it. Like it's it's almost like a physical empathy that you can have. Like if you if you're anal- um, analyzing your own skiing a lot of the time, you know I'll I'll often do that with clients who let's say they're struggling with a certain one thing, and I'll I'll say okay, well, really try and tune into my own body, try and mimic what their problem is, and then you can kind of feel where it comes from. You know, absolutely. Yeah, especially if you understand how they're thinking about it. You know. Yeah. 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 It's okay to have the answers right off the bat. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're yeah. right. You're right. Well, look, I'm, I know you've got to be somewhere uh, reasonably soon. So what I'm going to do, um, we, we, well, we're an hour and a half in now, so everyone's probably falling asleep already anyway. But uh, <laughs> but um, 
where can what I normally do at the end of these is like say, well, look, if anyone needs to find you, or where can people find you? Like, where would um, where where would they go about finding you, Tucker? Well, uh, there's uh, our Instagram account, Peace Stop Podcast. You can uh, direct message me there. Um, I got to be honest, Facebook probably isn't the best method of doing it, but uh, yeah, I would say direct message me on Instagram, uh, Peace Stop Podcast. Otherwise, uh, my uh, I don't know. Jay Tarkis at sbscf.org is um, is another as another avenue. That's my that's my email with the ski club. So okay, uh, happy to happy to talk skiing. And, yeah, um, you know, that's provide as many resources as I can. Yeah, it's well, nice the, to be thought of as a resource. Yeah, well, I'm um, the the Peace Off podcast. I I heartily recommend it. It's one of the, the the best ones out there. As far as I'm concerned, and I love you know for for my long journeys that I'm I'm constantly backwards and forwards between places and and you know just putting those on on play it's just uh, it's just brilliant it's lovely it's really really cool. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's all right. Well, thank you so much for doing them. You know, taking the time. It's 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 lovely. I guess you're doing it for similar reasons that I am. Is you just you just want to you know talk to people about skiing, and that's that's how it is. You know. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think you know the uh, podcasts are a great, a great, a great medium to use because what do you, what do you do? You drive to go skiing every weekend. You drive to the races. You, you're, you're in the car. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can't, and, and not, not to mention when you when you talk about print media, whether yeah. it's on a website or whatnot. You know, there's a lot of dull, dumb content. Yeah, uh, so the, yeah, yeah. The opportunity to actually get the thoughts and the whole story. Uh, out there and you know it's a lot easier to listen than read there's a lot of people who say you know the podcast the long format podcast is and this is you know all of you out there are hating on me for having long podcasts I don't care because um, <laughs> because uh, you know the long form podcast is you, you can really get you know we would never if, if we'd have had like 20 minutes like some of the other podcasts you'd never have got into any of that chat that we just got into you know and uh, you've got guys like Joe Rogan going on for like, you know, three, four hours. And it's fascinating. It's just brilliant. You know, it's, it's what else are you going to be doing in your car? You know, I... No, absolutely. Yeah. That, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's, I love, I love, you know, that's the thing too about the formats that you and I both have with our podcasts is, you know, Joe Rogan clearly identifies, you know, clearly shows that you can have success with that. So if it's a ramble, you know, conversation that's going on for three or four hours and you're just taking it where it needs to go naturally. Yeah. That's, so you're still, still going to have people listening. Yeah. Yeah. So, because it's, it's, as much as I've, you know, people have given me like, you know, think they're giving me helpful tips on how to improve the production value. Yeah. Uh, you know, right there, case in point. Yeah. No, it doesn't have to be. It can be exactly what we just did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your busy man, middle of the ski season and all that. So uh, I, I, I thank you so much for coming on. And like I say, as a big fan of your podcast, I'm, I'm just stoked to have had this conversation. So thanks, man. Dave, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be on the other side of the phone. And uh, I'll look forward to uh, keeping in touch with you. And maybe we can put something together in the future again as well. That'd be really cool. All right. Thank you. All right. Have a good one.